Welcome to Make It, Share It, the podcast where we explore the simple but profound process to overcome fear, doubt, perfectionism, and more enemies of creativity. Make it and share it. We'll talk to creators of all kinds, from artists and writers to entrepreneurs and inventors, to learn about their creative process, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them by making and sharing. Whether you're an artist, entrepreneur, or someone who wants to create but feels stuck, this podcast is for you. Creativity, meet courage. All right, everybody, welcome back to Make It, Share It. I'm Kent Rabelais and joined as always by Stephen Cooper and Lauren Chandler. What's up, guys? And today our guest is Jake McIntyre. Welcome, Jake. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Super excited to be here. Yeah. So Jake is a husband, you know, he's a father, and I know those things matter uh, a lot to him. And then also uh, is an actor and a writer and a producer which we'll talk about specifically in this show and then currently works for the Tim Tebow Foundation uh, and just helping young kids uh, that just looking for restoration and recreation too. And some of that, maybe we'll talk a little bit about what you do at the camp. So, um, so, so excited that you're joining us today. And in particular, we're going to talk about the movie that you wrote and that you produced uh, called Run the Race. And so that was incredible journey. And then as Jake and I were prepping yesterday, uh, I think there's some things in the sharing part of it, kind of the aftermath of, of, of making this that I think are really interesting. So excited to get into those today. But we're going to start just a fun question, kind of a get to know Jake question. So here's what I've got for you today. Um, if you could be stuck in a good way in any movie scene of all time, like you just get to live in this scene and just like enjoy it. What movie would you pick and, and where what would the scene be in the movie? Tommy Boy, fat guy in a little coat. I think that's what I'm going with. Uh that that scene was actually improv. Um they weren't even rolling the camera whenever Chris did that for David. He literally just was in between takes, jacking around and grabbed that coat and started singing and dancing. And Fred Wolf just said, film it. And then they filmed it. And then of course it's one of the most famous scenes of the movie. But just to be there and to, just a laugh and of course chris farley was a hero of mine so that, that that's it that was the first one that came to my head so i'm going with it love that's it that's awesome, awesome answer. i just heard an amazing chris farley anecdote <clears throat> from david spade who said uh he was dating a girl chris farley that worked at snl and they broke up and then when he got back they're like hey you know she's dating a new guy and he was like you know what he's probably you know he's probably better looking than me but he's not Fame, he's not more famous, he's not funnier, and he's not richer. I'll tell you that. And Davis Bay goes, actually, it's Steve Martin. So <laughs> I saw all three. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> she upgraded. Yeah. Like, oh, oh that one hits right here. Uh -huh. I was like, oh, poor dude. Poor guy. Oh man. Thought that was well, fantastic. that was a good one. Yeah, that was excellent. That answer. is a great answer to that question. That is a moment you would want to live in right there. Uh -huh. Well, I'm thinking about Farley. He passed away actually yesterday. That, that's kind of the day he passed away in 1997. I was 14 years old and he was just a hero. Um, when my parents were going through a divorce every, every Saturday night, me and Mo, my five brothers would just pile around the TV at 1030 and watch Farley from like 1990 to 95. So it was a big, big deal. It was a big, big part of my life. And, um, Got to be in a movie or, or, or be on a movie last year with his brother, Kevin Farley, and it was really cool. And I just got to tell Kevin, 
man, your whole family means a lot to me. And he was like, I really appreciate that, man. So it was kind of cool. So that's awesome. That is a cool story. Yep. Uh, well, that's a good segue too into our kind of getting a little deeper and getting to know you, which is just, we'd like to ask uh, about a turning point in your life, uh, some, some point in which things changed about the way you think or you live, you relate to the world. Um, and, you know, usually it's a, it's in a creative type of turn, but it can, it can be whatever you, you want to share with us, but just as a way to get to know you. So, uh, what would be a, a turn for you when you look back over your life and think about something that really, really shaped you, who you are today? I would say it was during those same years, 92, I was nine years old. My parents were going through a divorce. Um, and so my dad was shell shocked, just zombie, you know, barely functioning type of dude. And, um, but every uh, Saturday, we would go to the Dollar Movie in Sherman, Texas, and we'd show up at like 10 o'clock in the morning. We didn't leave until we closed it down. Like, we would see four or five movies in a row, at like 50 cents, you know, matinees and dollars. And it was like 1992, so you're getting a, a wide uh, berth of, of great films. It could be like Last of the Mohicans and River Runs Through It, and then you got Wayne's World and Weekend at Bernie's 2 or something. So you're just like seeing all this stuff. But it was during those movies, and you know, my brothers and my dad, we would look over and dad would smile and laugh and, and we had our dad back for a little bit. And I just was like, hmm, I was like, I want to do that. You know, I want to, uh, I want to do that. And then three years later in 95, when I saw Braveheart in the theater for the very first time, it was just, it was over. It was like, I want to move people's hearts if I can through story, through film, and just try to get close to how that changed my vision and heart and, and kind of what I want to live after and live for. So. Those, those twos, the 90s. I love that. Man, that's, uh, that makes so much sense on how you ended up having the dream that you had and led to run the race. So let's, let's jump into that because I want to yeah. make sure we get time on the sharing part in particular because as Jake and I were talking, it's crazy that this movie, Run the Race, came out five years ago, which is, yeah. is I was just like, wow. that it This is February. Cool. Yeah, this February is the February anniversary. Ooh. Okay. So let's go. It'll be like a little bit of a way to mark the the five year anniversary with the show today. So, um, but so many years before that, I think you know, almost like a decade of of trying to get it made, which is uh, is is film. That's the way it goes. It's a it's very very hard, and uh, it's a miracle that any film ever gets made. Really. So, so tell us uh, just for people that don't know the movie, you know, what it's about. Maybe we can start with that, just how you would kind of give a synopsis of Run the Race, and then we'll rewind to, um, you know, making it some of, the, yeah. that, of that journey. So what's it about? And then we'll, we'll back up from there. So Run the Race is about two brothers growing up in a small town. Um, they're kind of living on their own by themselves. They're 17, 18 years old. Their mom dies of cancer when they're little. Their dad's kind of a runaway drunk. And so they're trying to get out of this small town. They're living in their grandma's old house working in a grocery store and they're trying to just go for their dreams and get out of the small town via any way possible, football scholarship, track scholarship, and um, just kind of the whole world's against them, but they have each other. And the whole epitome of the movie is that one brother believes in God and one brother doesn't. And so it's about how God changes one brother's heart through the other brother. Um, and that their dreams and the things they pray for that don't always um, come true or happen exactly the way they wanted them to. Um, but they realize that if you have God and you have Jesus in your life, um, that you're okay no matter what happens to you, um, that you have enough, that you have him, and that, um, and that he's everything you need. And so that's what Run the Race is all about. So it's definitely the, what they pray for comes true, just not the way they thought it would. 
Yep. Well done. You've done that before. Good synopsis. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's, it's, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, so essentially, just to kind of jump in and kind of give you the background yeah. of just how it all originated. So I was an actor when I graduated from White Ride High School in 2001. I became an actor, University of North Texas, University of Texas in Arlington. And then I was just like, man, what are you going to do? You know, either you, you get a degree in acting, either you can act or you can't act. I was like, I don't really want to teach this, you know. And so in 2003, I went to the Billy Graham School of Evangelism in Oklahoma City. And Billy and uh, Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea and those guys were still there. And I just felt God saying, Jake, if you're going to get a degree, get a degree in me. So I was like, okay, let's do that. So I ended up going like to six different colleges in five years. I was on the tour, but I ended up at Dallas Baptist University. Um, and uh, there I was in these biblical studies classes and I was freehand writing run the race. I was just, you know, in between classes, I would just write scenes and uh, my best friend uh, I met there, he's still my best friend to this day, uh, Trey Brunson, sat down beside me. He's like, what are you doing, you know? And I was like, I'm writing a movie script. And he just blew his mind that I was trying to do this, you know? And then uh, he was a big encouragement to me just to continue to write it. Uh, he was huge. He was just like, man, just write it, just write it, just write it. Like, it, it doesn't matter if it's terrible. Like, just get it down on paper. And so I uh, did not know what I was doing. I'd written down on on, on notebook paper and then... I guess I was like, all right, I got to get this over to script screen, uh, you know, make it look, put it on the computer and type it out, I guess. And I didn't even have a screenwriting book. I had no software. I had didn't even have screenwriting software. I was using Microsoft Word and just like took me forever because I would hit like the space bar like 13 times each time to write a character's name. And then the dialogue took forever. Um, but I was teaching. And so we, we, we graduate. Um, in 06 and, uh, Trey tells me that his dad, Dr. Mac Brunson, who was pastor at first Baptist Dallas at the time, he was like, Hey, I'm going to first Baptist church, Jacksonville, Florida. And Trey and I were 23. We just graduated. He's like, well, I need a job. I'm going with him. I'm going to be an associate pastor over there. So Trey goes to Jacksonville, Florida. I stay in the Metroplex and start teaching high school, um, in inner city Irving, teaching speech class to kids. And it was during one of those summers where, <laughs> Trey, once again, he was leading the pastor's conference, um, which Lauren, you've sang at before. Um, and they had a guest speaker and it was Jim Caviezel. And this was an 08. So Jim Caviezel's there. And Trey's telling him about my movie. I mean, he's like pitching Jim. He's like two, three years off of Passion of the Christ. And I haven't even finished this thing. And Trey's like, I just talked to Jim Caviezel today. He says, you need to finish that script. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? So here is it. I start just like really getting excited. And so the summer of 08, when you're teaching, I had the summer off. I was like, that's it. I got, I got to do this. I got to do this. And I just finally put it in Microsoft Word. It was 190 pages, which is insane for a script. It was like a mini series, my friends told me. And uh, I had it done, though. And I was happy. And I got it copyrighted. And at the time, it was called My Brother's Life. And then later, it got changed to Run the Race. But um, I had no idea what, no idea what I was doing. I, I literally, the, the format and the structure... I printed off two of my favorite movies of all time, Shawshank Redemption and uh, Sling Blade. And I was like, all right, it's kind of has the Sling Blade background, but it's about these two brothers that are these type of friends, like, you know, Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins. So I literally print out those scripts and I go, I guess I got to make mine look like that. And then I, you know, get after it. And and that's literally how the very first draft came to be in 08. So, wow. yeah. Man, there's so much in that. I'm sure y'all, what I was just talking about with a friend this weekend that's a writer and producers, 
the power of imitation mm-hmm. uh, is that like I Spielberg and at, at Steven Spielberg and George Lucas both talk about how they would just imitate David Lean. You know, it was directed Lawrence Rubier and Bridget Rubiquai and a lot of a lot of films, but they would just one for one, just with their little Pentax cameras and things like that, try to copy a lean scene from Lawrence Rubiquai, like just uh, just try to capture that, and then it it's from there they grew, you know. So I love that that you just grab some scripts that you're like resonated with you and like how can I just imitate this uh, and learn from this, and then you over time, make your own voice out of it. I think it's just such a powerful lesson when you're trying to learn anything is the power of apprenticeship. So, yeah. One of the two, you got, you got Trey, who's a good friend who just is one of those guys that I think I try to be more of like, if I'm in a situation and you meet somebody like, Hey, you got to meet this guy. Hey, this, Hey, my buddy's doing this, even though it's just like, like you said, you hadn't finished a script and he's Jim Caviezel coming off the Passion of the Christ. I love that he's pitching him. My buddies wrote a, wrote a screenplay, which anybody in that business, I mean, how many times have they heard my buddies written a screenplay? But then also, I love Jim's advice. Hey, finish it. Yeah, he told me. He's, he's like, go charge this guy up. And and then Trey was so excited, like he gave him the pepper at lunch and goes, kings to you, like Count of Monte Cristo style. And I'm just like, Dear, Trey has no shame, which is beautiful. And the story with Trey continues a little bit later on down the road. Um, nice. uh, so you mean, you just roll into that camp just to keep it coming? Yeah, just unless I, Lauren, if I make sure you didn't have anything you wanted to catch from that I, segment. I mean, I just, you're, y'all are drawing out some of the things that I was, you know, I, uh, Kit and Coop are like great on their feet and I, I'm sure you are too, Jake. I'm like writing notes <laughs> over here. Like, oh, I want to, I want to say something about that because I will forget it. I have mom brain. And I'm getting older anyway, but I think y'all have drawn out some of the things that I noticed too, the, the power of imitation where there've been things in my life too, in my different, uh, crafts that I've done where I've seen, okay, that resonates with me deeply. And I want to do something like that. And so taking that form, whether it's a lyric or how they, you know, built a song or how you sang the song or how you built that. So I think there's something powerful about, you know, imitation where sometimes we can be sold like oh we just need to discover it all on our own it needs to be completely different really we're taking some things that resonate with us and we're making it our own and very rarely are there the those geniuses that just come up with something that has never been done before very rarely so i just love that you did that and then trey i love that trey was what i have a friend uh jen barrett calls a dream defender like Mm-hmm. you know, whatever it took, he's going to defend your dream and help you accomplish it. And so I think we need those on that path of creating, of making something and of eventually sharing it. Well, it was Trey. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. And I was just no, going to definitely train the beginning and the origin of it. And then when I met my wife, Charity in 05, we got married in 07. And that was just the, the huge catalyst, like, you've got to do this. And I saw her every day and, you know, and it was, so them two together and it was like, no, this is, this is going to happen. Like, well, I'm at least going to write it. Yeah. So awesome. Go ahead, Coop. No, on the music stuff, Lord, my first band in the early first college band that actually was writing in their own material. It's early two thousands when the software for pro tools was being available to be purchased on like not a laptop yet, but a, a home Mac computer. So it was like home recording was moving into the home. 
Um, we started recording our own music because you could, and you could afford it, but it did not sound like it. It didn't sound like anything that was on the radio. And so we were like, well, we have the songs and we have it recorded, but man, this is awful. And we used to put in CDs, like we would get a Weezer CD and put it in and listen and specifically go, how loud is their kick drum? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we'd go to the R's and like pull up the kick drum and literally would mix it. And then we'd go, okay, well, we don't want this to sound exactly like Weezer. So then we pull that out and then we throw in something else. And we just kept listening to CDs, literally instrument by instrument from hi-hat. We didn't know how to mix drums. And so we just did it until it started to sound right. And then it was good enough for a demo that like got us a record deal. Yeah. But it was purely winging it and copying four or five of the biggest albums that we liked at that time mm -hmm. to get it done. So if you're stuck out there, maybe try just imitating, you know, yeah. whether you're a musician, uh, you're screenwriting, you're, as we said before, kind of even talking about the gardening thing of YouTube videos of some master gardeners out there, you know, just like not sure what to do with this flower bed or with this garden, but I'm going to try it. So, um, okay. Yeah. Jake, let's go take us to the next part of the stream. <laughs> okay. So. 07, 08, I'm married charity in 07, 08, finally get it written. And then I'm teaching high school for like six years and it was like, okay. And um, I was like, do I just keep doing this? You know, is this what you've called me to do, Lord? If, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it till I'm 50 or 60. Like, if this is really what, what you want me to do. And, and, um, I just felt this yearning, uh, and I, I, I'd been at this school and this is getting in the weeds of God, just propelling you onto a dream. I don't really share this story much, but. Um, I was been at this school five, six years. I was being voted most inspirational teacher because I'm teaching speech. And so if they ask any questions about politics or religion, then I can just, you know, and so I was unpacking the gospel every day. I was 27, 28, just fired up for the Lord and uh, was actually giving kids Bibles with their names on them. And I got verbal permission from my principal to do that. Um, and then, uh, after this, yeah, like, Kipper, you know where this is going. Uh, I've been not, and then the fall, I literally was like, I'd been there and it was fall of 11. And I was like, Lord, if you want me to go make run the race, I was like, you've got to get me out of this school. I was like, no, I'm not going to leave because I have way too much favor here. And I'm on my heads and he's praying that prayer. Two days later. I take charity up for a 25th birthday or 26th birthday up to Vermont to see the leaves change. And I'm locked out of my school laptop. Everything goes dark. I'm flipping out. I call Trey. I'm like, man, this is getting weird. I don't know what's going on. He was like, you know, we pray together. I come home and literally the next thing I know, I'm in a room full of attorneys and uh, my principal telling me that I didn't. She's like, who, who gave you the authority to give Bibles to kids? And I said, you did. And she said, no, I didn't. I told you to obey the handbook. And so it was like, whoa. And then I saw I, I got pressured into resigning and all that stuff. And um, But I just felt like, okay, I, I'm going to go make run the race. And I was so fired up and I was mad and I was angry. And because, you know, and, and Charity just looked at me and she said, what are you so mad about? This is what you prayed for. And I was like, I know, but not like this. Like, I, this is not the way I asked the Lord to do it. Um, but it really just uh, was an answer to prayer. And it really just put me on like a mission. And I was just like so driven. And so I went and talked to my acting agent, Linda McAllister, and she still is. And I was like, all right, I got the script. 
She's like, okay, well, nobody's going to read your script, Jake, because you've never written a script before. I go, well, that's encouraging. I was like, so what should I do? She was like, go make a little six-minute concept trailer for it. And I was like, what? She goes, go shoot something. Go shoot like, you know, production of, of six minutes. The look and the feel, the vibes, the passion, the tension, everything. And make a little six-minute teaser concept trailer so that investors will actually read your script. They'll watch six minutes and then they'll go, okay, I'll read it. Or I have my guys read it. So I did not know what I was, I was Okay, so great. So then I call up some of my buddies, Jason Blumergardner, Zach Smith, and we go and shoot this six weeks later. Um, I left that school on 11-11-11 and we shot January 6th of 2012, six weeks later, three days, and I got a little six-minute concept trailer. And then once we had it published, put on, you know, Facebook, and this was like me playing the lead. I was 28 trying to play an 18-year-old, right? So... Uh, I was the lead at the time and, um, and it kind of went viral a little bit and, uh, we actually raised a $250,000 and we're really excited. We're like, all right, Lord, this is in the summer of 13. You're, you're calling us to do this. You're calling us to do this. Um, we then though had to, to give that money back because we didn't have raise enough money in time. So then there's like, oh, you know, back to square one, back to nothing. And I'm literally praying god if you want me to continue to this dream like you've got to continue to open up doors i don't know what to do i was like um if you want me and charity to quit uh we will do that today we actually appreciate it if you could verbally say something to us like if it's give up we'll give up i'm working a little uh, small job with my buddy and uh just literally telling him i was like man i think i'm about to give up he's in my church home group and i was like yeah they, i think god's telling me i need to give up Anthony and he's like, well, I don't know. He's like, just keep praying about it. I was like, I've been praying about. It. I think he's about to. I think he's telling me I need to give up. Just then, the phone rings. It's Trey Brunson, and I go, "What's up, man?" And he goes, "Well, uh, I've been hanging out with Tim and Robbie Tebow here in Florida. I just showed him your concept trailer, and uh, they love it, man. And they want to meet you." And then I was just like, you know, looking at Anthony, I was like, "What, what? You know what I mean? It was that quick." Uh, but it literally happened like that. And then I, so Robbie and I jumped on a phone call. We talked for three hours the very first time we ever spoke, became good buddies. And then in October of 13, Trey and I went out to LA, which where Timmy was at at the time. He was in between football teams. I think he was going from the Broncos to the Jets then. And uh, met him and got to sit in a room with Tim. And he was 26 at the time I was uh, 30. This is 2013. And they hadn't read the script. Nobody, you know? Um, except for Tim's mom, because Trey's mom is friends with Tim's mom. And Mrs. Debbie sent that bad boy over. And Miss Pam Tebow wrote me an email saying, hey, I don't tell my boys what to do when it comes to things like this, but this script made me cry and I'm rooting for you and I'm praying for you. I just wrote her back. I said, Miss Pam, that's all I need is your prayer. So I get out there and, uh, I got 20 minutes, they say, to pitch Timmy on this movie. And he had just came back from a workout. He had the black on his knees from doing the lunges. I mean, it was that. He wore a sweaty, genuine jockey shirt. It was that that quick. And I just pour open my heart about the movie. And uh, at the very end of it, Robbie's tearing up. The attorneys are tearing up. And uh, I saw Tim Paris on his arm stand up. And he just goes, God's doing something behind this. Let's just figure it out. And... And it was, I mean, you know, and he had told me he, later and he's like, I did, I don't, he, he hasn't made another movie since he's helped, you know, fund him a couple of times, but he did not want to get in the movie business. 
And, but he was like, man, but I'm in the, I look for vehicles that have the opportunity to go around the world and change people's hearts for the gospel. And I can see your passion, Jake. And I mean, he really, he backed me and it was, um, it was very humbling and, uh, still good, close with this guy, work for the foundation right now. But all that to say it was, uh, it did not happen overnight. And then that was in 2013 and we had then had to raise $2.4 million and we were able to do that. We shot the movie in the fall of 16 in Birmingham, Alabama, then had to raise another 4 million to market it, put it in theaters. So we, then we did that and it came out in theaters 2019. And, um, yeah, I mean, one of the last movies that came out before COVID. So we just, we, we got it in. So, <laughs> wow. but that's the, that's the quick version of just how crazy those years were. Um, yeah, man, that's incredible. It's just, it really is like a, such an incredible story. And I love that you can condense it like that, but having known you and, you know, a chunk of that time and following it, like it was a brutal journey. I mean, that's, it is such a brutal journey to try to do something like this. And I would say, honestly, I wouldn't have, um, I give a, a ton of credit, Matt, you, Lauren, you can guys like Bleeker, Patterson, um, Jason Holloman, Trevor Joy, because they, you guys just literally, um, put your arms around me and just, just walked alongside me and charity for almost a decade as we were trying to do this. And we would show up to elder led prayer and it'd be the exact same. What do you need now? Uh, I don't know, just a lot of prayer and a lot of money and a lot of favor and okay. Same prayers. I see you, see you next Wednesday, you know? And, uh, but it was, uh, I don't think I would have, I, I honestly think we would have given up if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the village church, um, we wouldn't have the spiritual chops to, to hang in there and keep answering the bell because mm -hmm. it was a fight and you get knocked out and then dang, you got to just show her right back up going, okay, what now, now what am I doing? You know? Uh, end up having to sell our house in Highland Village because these two companies tried to scam us. I mean, it was, you got nasty, but it was, uh, but the Lord just said, keep going, you know, and one of the, and, and, and we realized at one point, and this is one of the big things that people that listen to this today, when God calls you to do something creative, um, creatively, that's going to bring him glory, that he's the hero of the story. It might not ever come to fruition. He might not ever see it through. But if we sends that calling on your heart, he's saying, hey, come with me, create this with me, do this with me. The very least you're going to get is me and you. Mm -hmm. And if you're okay with me and you, then, you know, well, you know, I can stand my fingers and put this thing in theaters, you know? And so that's, that, that's the biggest calling, I think, on something when God puts something on your heart uh, from a creative standpoint, he's going to give you more of himself. He's the prize, yeah. you know? So... He is. And I, th I mean, I just, everything you just said is laden with, you know, run the race. I, I see the poster behind you. I think of the name of the film and, and you there, we each do have this race to run and only we can run it. And only the Lord knows where the, where the finish line is. And only he can really sustain us to finish it. Um, but we also, it's a lot easier to run the race when you've got people around you cheering you on um, that are praying for you, that are believing in you, like Miss Pam, like Trey, like your community at the village. I, I mean, I just, I think how beautiful that you had to live a lot of what 
the message of the film is before you got to see the fruit of the film, you know? And so uh, I love how intentional the Lord is to do that, to do the work in you before he lets you share it. And to have that perspective of, hey, I want this to come to fruition. I want to be able to see this. But even if I don't, Lord, what was created in our relationship, the intimacy, the trust is better than even getting to see this thing come all the way to fruition. So um, thanks for sharing that, Jake. I think that's impactful. And I hope for those listening that that there's something for them, too, of, yes, you want to see your dream come to fruition, but uh, sometimes there's better things along the journey to gain than what you think you want. Anyway, I hope, I hope that's an encouragement. It is to me. <clears throat> okay. I, there's so many things there that are so amazing. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back into two different things for sharing, but first Kent and I did film school together and there was some great advice given by Dr. Corpy who was over that program that you did. When people ask you, how do you get in the film business? How do you get in the movie business? He used to say the best entry level job is producer. Like just go do your own thing. Go write it, go start filming a five minute thing. You're going to have to be in it. And just like, and that blew me away when we were freshmen because we had no money, no camera, no nothing. But that's the reality for a lot of people. The second thing, if you don't share even what you're working on in very, very early stages, there can't be the trays and the PAMs. Mm -hmm. And so one, I'd say you got to always be sharing it with the people around you. And then we should all try to be like Trey and Pam and champion other people's stuff, help people get stuff out there. So when they share it with you, help share it to your network and vice versa. But something you said that blows me away, because it's really true in the music business right now too. It's impossible to get these songs finished and recorded and done and mastered. And now I have a song that can be distributed. Same with a film. It's an, it's a miracle gets made. You had a million hurdles. Now you have a finished product and that product costs you two and a half million dollars. But now it costs you four to make sure anyone would ever see it. And it's the same with music. Now the budgets of music, you're trying to do it as cheap as possible because it does cost so much to break through the madness of everyone releasing stuff so that anyone might ever hear it. And it might make a playlist on Spotify that someone might actually see, or it's just going to go unheard. So talk a little bit about that. Did you know that going in or were you like getting wrapped up? Like you're in the editing room and they're like, Hey, you know, it's going to cost $4 million to put this thing out. Right? Like how did that part of the sharing hit you? Total surprise. So it was once we did, I mean, we had a big party when we raised the 2.4. I mean, it was just a miracle. And um, had three big investors come in at 800K a piece. And it was just, here we go, you know. And then shot the movie, Fall of 16. And then we're like watching dailies. And we're putting it together in January of 17. And then we're just talking to the distribution companies. And they're like, yeah, so what's your P&A budget? And we're like, sorry, P&A? What? Um, they're like, yeah, printing, publishing, and advertising. And we were just like... Uh, Unfortunately, one of our investors, you know, um, Bill Reeves, great guy, he was working for, I mean, he was CEO of working title agency. So we knew that he was going to help market us. We just didn't know we had to reach 4.7 million, um, which was, oh, but then at this point though, we had a, we had a movie to show them. 
you know? And so it was like, hey, it's not just this script and here's my team. And yeah, the coach is Michael T. Williamson. He was, you know, Bubba off Forrest Gump and you're trying to pitch these character actors. It was like, hey, here's the movie that you can watch at your house. And um, if you want to be a part of this, then here you go. Now, a big draw for us was the fact that Tim Tebow is Tim Tebow and that he can call up Good Morning America and be on the show tomorrow. That helps. Um, and uh, he agreed. It, but the, it, the irony of all of it, I think I can share this now, is that and it, I think you'd obviously appreciate this, is that he, he really didn't want to make a movie. So he really just wanted to impact people's lives. And so he we had a clause in there that was like, if this movie's terrible, um, do I still have to put my name on it? Can I just be a silent investor? So we had it in there like, Timmy, we're not going to make anything that's going to be terrible. But yes, you, you got a platform of ministry. The last thing we want is, you know, Tim Tebow pr presents a bag of crap for his first movie. And uh, here we go. Yeah. So he watched it. He was like, I love it. I'm putting my name on it. Let's go. That helped us. But it was a big team effort. I mean, it was, um, once people could actually see the movie, um, or, or as you coop, you know, could hear some of your tracks that maybe the, the, the production on them was, was very low, but they were just like, man, there's something here. Um, it just, you start kind of building an army of people that believe in you, you know, but you got to start somewhere. You got to try something and throw it out there, you know? So, uh, so on the sharing sites, I want to make sure we get enough time to talk about tease out a little bit about what we were talking about yesterday. Um, so I think just briefly maybe share the reception, uh, of the film in the first year, you know, obviously you're talking about how it got in right before COVID. Uh, and then I'd love to talk about more of, now several years later after having accomplished this dream you know what it's what that's what that's been like on the other side of such a monumental journey and sort of reaching this quote-unquote mountaintop you know at the yeah. end and then and then what comes after that but yeah i guess start with sharing a little bit about what happened uh you know after it released so one of the the dad in the movie of the boys is a guy named christopher palaha He's a great guy. Uh, man, he is the Hallmark Channel king right now. You can watch him on every Christmas movie. He's crushing it. Just had a movie called The Ship come out in theaters where he's the lead. He's doing exceptionally well. Great guy. And on set, he was talking to me about this. He goes, so how long have you been working on this? And I was like, oh, well, since 04. So 12 years now. And then by the time we got in theaters, it was like 15 years. He goes, oh, man. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, every movie that I've ever done, if I'm on set for uh, a month, you know, he goes, it takes me that many weeks to, to get over the hangover, just get over the getting it out of my system. And he goes, if I'm on set for three months, which he was in Jurassic Park and he was in London during COVID doing that with Chris Pratt. Um, he was like, yeah, I was on there for, I was over two months and that took me a full two weeks to get over it. So then he goes, so you've been on this how many years? And then he goes, he goes, Jim, he goes, Jake, I'm not going to lie to you, man. He goes, it might be four or five years uh, for you to get over this, for you to to kind of figure out exactly what you want next. And, man, I thought he was tell I thought he was fibbing. I thought he was just blowing smoke, and he was telling the absolute truth. I, uh, as soon as this movie came out, it was like, whoa. It was, um, I remember, and then having the L.A. Red Carpet premiere and all this, I remember Matt asked me one time, he was like, Jake, what's it like? I was like, it's like getting married and having a baby at the same, on the same day. I was like, it's like, you're at your wedding. You have it. You know, I was like, now you go straight to the hospital and you're having a kid. 
Um, that's what the LA premiere was like in the red carpet. Um, but the mo- when, when the movie came out and then it started to pay back our investors, uh, it became evident that our investors are going to be all right. Uh, but all the back end guys, um, like me and uh, Trey and those guys that it was going to take a while, years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so then you start going, okay, what am I doing now? And for me, it was like, I, I, I need a job and I need one tomorrow, you know, um, now that I'm not traveling around marketing the film. And so there was, and so you were happy because all the stories are coming in of people's lives being impacted, even people watching it in their own language in the Philippines are writing us Facebook messages and Tagalog that I got to go get translated. And it's like, this is my boy's favorite movie. He's playing football in the backyard in the Philippines. And so you see the impact and you're really encouraged. Um, but man, honestly, Lauren, as you were talking about, having to having to to see if god actually for god to see if i actually believe what i wrote in the script before he made it it's the same thing after this thing is made and i'm like he's like you know because so many times in the making this he was like are you okay if it's me and you um but no movie Mm -hmm. just me and you jake and then i'd say yep my finally my heart gets there and he's like okay i'm funding it all right it's me and you in the movie but you're 33 now, you're not 18, so Tanner Stein's going to play the lead. And I'll, are you okay if it's me, you in the movie, but no lead part? And I'm like, finally, when Holy Spirit's like, yep, yep. Because the biggest decisions we were making was what's going to help try to get the most kids get saved, period. When it comes to the ending of the movie, title, that was our non-negotiable. We want kids to pray, we want to pray today. Um, and so then it was like, okay, you got the movie. You don't get the part, but you're okay. You're a producer. You're a writer. You know, you still got your red carpet premiere. Everything's going great, but there's no money at the end. Are you, but are you okay? And then it was like, okay, all right, Lord. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, but man, I, I will say there's been some dark nights of the soul after run the race. Um, there's been some times where I'm like, man, if you only just bless this a little bit in that direction, we could have already made two more movies by now. Um, I wouldn't have to be worrying, you know, there's a lot of stuff and you're like, and then you, and then you get into that, that downward spiral of, uh, you know, like Teddy Roosevelt says, uh, you know, comparisons, the thief of all joy. And then you're like, well, these other filmmakers are crushing it with, I can only imagine. And you're like, and then you're like, okay, is there something wrong with me that you couldn't trust me? Like man, really Satan can tee off on you. And there's been days where I haven't been that nice to me and I've, uh, just been trying to to get through those, you know, the anxiety and some of the depression. Um, I think I'm coming at coming out of it a little bit, but um, it is definitely the roller coaster doesn't stop. Um, it, well, once you're in this creative world, and now it's like uh, we were talking about this yesterday a little bit. Can't like now I'm in a position where, you know, I, I love what I'm doing. I'm I'm helping, you know, build uh, this awesome. Uh, you know, your universally accessible Augeron Ministry campus at the Tim Tebow Foundation up in the Hokono Mountains of Pennsylvania, around a lot of people with some very deep pockets. I feel like I, one of these days I'll make another movie again, um, but it's like right now I'm supposed to do this job. And you, that, but then you're like, but man, when am I going to get the time to, to do anything creative? Because I've got two babies and one on the way, and now I'm 40. And it's just like, this is a different life, you know? And so juggling a lot, man. So sorry, I just unloaded that question on you or answer on you. Well, it's powerful. And I appreciate your honesty. You know, we talked about being raw and, um, you know, that's it. That's just 
being real. And so you don't have to share that. And so I'm thankful and hopefully that's uh, just hearing that is helpful for our audience um, to know. Uh, I think especially, again, if you are in that making stage and thinking, okay, maybe this thing is going to get me the Oscar or it's going to get me the Grammy or it's going to get me the Pulitzer, whatever you want to come up with at the highest level. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Um, even if it got you some mountaintop experience, the other side of the mountain, you have to come down. Uh, and that's a, that's a journey in and of itself, which is what you're in right now. So thanks for sharing that. It really, it's powerful. Yeah. I think that's helpful for others to hear because they probably created something and shared it and it, you know, had to, um, get real on some things where you're like, okay, is it, can I, will I be okay if this, if that, and they got to do the thing. It didn't look exactly like they thought it would, but they're on the, like Kent said, on the other side of this mountain that is very real and is probably uh, more um, often experienced by people than just the always up and to the right sort of stuff. And so I appreciate your honesty. And I think that'll encourage a lot of creators who you still you've been given this gift to create to mm -hmm. make something it doesn't mean that it will look like what you think it will look like i think of so many gosh just people in the bible i think about a david who wanted to build the temple for the lord who had the desire the plans wanted to do it but it wasn't his to do i think about moses who you know he got to, um, he had the desire to lead the people into the promised land, but he got to see it from afar. He didn't get to welcome it and be with them. It was Joshua's to do. And um, so sometimes, but what both of those men did have was some intimacy with the maker, the creator mm -hmm. that a lot of us don't always get to experience. And um, yeah, so I think that that's real. And so I appreciate you sharing that part of the making and the sharing. Absolutely. So one other thing that's been eating at me lately is this thing about setting expectations of creative projects before they're shared. And so I've heard John Mayer talk about this from a musical standpoint, but the one that really messed me up was Rain Wilson and his book lately where he says that he was miserable during shooting the office because once he got the office and the office within the first year or two took off, instead of enjoying that he had the number one TV show, he was like, I'm not getting the phone calls to be the leading man. I'm getting these weird parts. I thought the big movies were coming. I'm seeing some of my other, so like you said, comparison, he's comparing himself to other uh, guys on the show. And he was like, now I look back and I'm like, I was grumpy, miserable mess on the number one comedy on TV because he never assigned expectations to it. Like, what will make this worth it, worth doing, worth sharing, worth being a part of? And once I hit that, I'm good. Like John Mayer said, like, I, if I can release this and 5,000 people hear it or it pays for the next one, because if you don't and you make, you sell 10 million copies is there a guy going, yeah, but I'm not Ed Sheeran who sold 22 and now you're not happy being the third biggest artist in the world because there's a number two and a number one. And so that's been messing with me lately of that thought of how to be happy and to find joy after the sharing and defining expectations before the sharing 
which really means setting the bar low. Um, but also, it can't just be about the result. It had to be something about the journey and making it. And if that's, and like we said, in time with the creator, if that is why we made it and that's why we shared it, then there'll be joy in a lot of the different things. But if it's, what do I get from this? How will it be received? What will people say about me? When you get into those worlds, man, you're, you'll never find happiness. Like even you could be on the office for eight years or 10 years and not, and walk away going, I was unhappy the whole time. Mm. So that's really been messing with me lately. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah. I, it's, especially with the financial parts, like I don't want to brush past that. And I think it's probably easier for me right now because I'm in the middle of it. But uh, when you're putting out significant investment, whatever that is for you, whatever significant is, but it's like, you know, you're like, you might have to sell your house, right? Something where, I mean, it's serious uh, and it's not working out. It, it, it can be overwhelming, you know, like, because you're, you're like, well, I feel like I've heard you, Lord, you want me to do this. It feels very clear. It's like, but are you going to make it work out to where I don't have to sell my house? And we do, you know, like, uh, so juggling those things, the weight of that is intense. Um, and so, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll piggyback with, um, Jake here and just share that. Like the other day I was in my office and I got the note that this audiobook I'm trying to publish just is not going through right now on audible and long, long thing. And, uh, it was like the original thing I heard back was it might be January before you might hear anything or have a shot to even put it in the system, which might mean it's February before it even could come out. It was supposed to originally be November. And I just started weeping. Like, I just was like, I'm freaking done. Like I, this is a mess. Um, I've made bad, this like, what is going on? Um, you know, and so I just don't want to move past like it what you've been through and I can empathize with it having been through something similar at different levels but just um when you feel this deep call and you feel an investment that you're making and it's just not working at different times like I've, it's a similar thing with the Lord of like it's me and you I, mm -hmm. you know I'm with you that's that's who I said that's what I've promised is that I'm with you everything else is not promised it's not, there's not specifics, you know? And so it is hard to Coop's point to, to say like, okay, what is the outcome? It can't necessarily be financial success. Um, even though you're making a financial investment, which any business person hearing this is like, that doesn't make any sense, dude. <laughs> That's, that is like the definition of don't do that. Uh, but in the creative space, and I think especially in a spiritual space, when those are coming together, it's not always going to be one plus one equals two. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that's, I just wanted to share that as a way of just to, I guess, give a gift back to you because you gave a gift to me for sure. And then I know our audience, but, uh, it is hard. And so it's like, I just want to be real about that. Well, thank you so much, Kent. And it's like, you know, I, I talked about the guys that made, I can only imagine the Irwin brothers and I know those guys, hey, but that wasn't their very first movie. I mean, it was like their fourth or fifth movie. And then they just went, you know, gangbusters with it. And it, it, it's interesting whenever you're doing something in the ministry vein, because yes, you want it to do well monetarily so you can do it again. I mean, nobody's like, well, let's go, let's go get broke today. You know, you know, um, but honestly, th those guys on set, there were some of our producers and us, and there were some, there were some very tough conversations about this is a business before it's a ministry. And I would say, no, this, you know, 
I didn't sell my house for a business over a ministry. This is a ministry before it's a business. And so like the naming of the movie, how the movie ended, um, all kinds of stuff, like literally it came down to us is when it was me and Trey and some of the guys and, and, and Timmy, he was like, what is going to help the most kids get saved today? Yeah. Um, and then once that was like, that's the, that's the question. Then, okay. You know, I mean, there was even talk that Jesus's name wasn't even going to be said in the movie at all. And we had to fight that. There were so many of these fights, yeah. but they were, and, and, and some of them were like, oh, we don't want this to be corny. I get that. Um, but there, and it has to move people's hearts. You know, Francis Fisher's monologue is nanny and run the race. I mean, she just belts it. That, that some people wanted to get that cut out of the movie. And I'm like, nope. Like, that's what the movie is that she thought God had forgotten about her. And, um, you know, she was able to have kids and she was supposed to be their nanny. And that was what God planned for her. He saw was, the girl at 17 thought that God had forgotten about her. The girl at 65 sees what God had for her all along. And that's the movie. And so there was some, you know, it's pick your battles. And, uh, you know, fortunately, whenever it came to a big decision, whether it be pursuing the movie or even in the story, uh, my wife, Charity, was the biggest voice. And then Trey, she was the biggest voice. And if she didn't have peace about it, I wasn't doing it. But if she, I mean, straight up said, well, I think we need to, we're going to sell our house. We're going to continue to make run the race. And she just said it like that, like on a walk in Highland Village. And I'm just going all right, let's go, you know? And so you got to have those people in your life. Amen. For sure. Kent, I was, uh, lately I've been messing with the idea of a show that's about the creative process. And I thought about even at one point naming it <laughs> buy high, hold it for a long time and then give it away. <laughs> because that is unfortunately the, <laughs> like it's the anti-business model. Yeah. For all investing. Like, in other words, if you're in this for investing or money, get out now because you're toast. Mm -hmm. And it's going to look so ugly to like my dad, the accountant, is just going to be like, this whole thing is red. This whole, you guys started from the beginning, it's red. And then you find out you get $4 million to share it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So I love your, like, it's, it's a horrible business model, <laughs> but it's a calling. And that's yeah. what you got to do. It's like, we were made this way. We were made to do it. And then we got to do it. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Um, and you just don't ever that. know what the, um, you know, the spiritual fruit is. What mm -hmm. you, yeah. you won't know. You won't know um, on this side of things. Yeah. And so financially might not have been the best decision, but uh, maybe in God's economy, it it was a great return on investment, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, what's great about his economy versus man's it's not always lined up the same. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think before we wrap up, my last question is just, so in the space that you find yourself in on the other end of it, and then, you know, working with the Tebow Foundation and incredible work, you know, that you've, you've got your hands on to the plow, so to speak right now, but then dealing with the creative parts of it that might be, you know, feel like you're just, I'm not able to do right now with family and all that. Like, how are you navigating that, processing that right now? What's it look like, you know, if someone's in a similar position uh, for you to, to try to, yeah, just push through as you're coming down that mountain, uh, mm -hmm. what's that like? 
Yeah, so in 2021, I guess it was a couple of years after Run the Race, it came out. Snowmageddon kind of, you know, hit us here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just did Night to Shine at a local church over here. And I just uh, got convicted because I was just kind of working a sales job. And I was like, you know, um, I want to continue to make an impact to the grace that I can. And I literally just called Timmy up and I was like, hey, and I went outside in the snow and I made a little video. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to make, I'm making this video for you. Cause I'm going to write you an email and I want you to read that email. And he, so he did. And it was essentially just like, Hey, this is what God's put on my heart. Anything I do for you and the kids at the foundation from here in Texas. And he was like, as a matter of fact, there is, um, he goes, we're, we're, we're growing. He goes, we've gone from 18 employees to over 200 in the last five years. He goes, we're in 80 something different countries. He goes, but recently, um, a, uh, a family just gave us 3000 acres of pristine land in the Poca, uh, Poconos mountains of Pennsylvania. The Poconos. And uh, I was like, what are you going to do with it? He's like, man, I want to build the very first all year round ministry campus that can facilitate all kids, including those with special need, so that nobody's turned away. And he's like, we're an hour and a half outside of Philadelphia, two hours from Times Square. He goes, we got to raise about $100 million. And he goes, but I already got some of it. Uh, he goes, it's going to be a four or five year project. And he just said, uh, you know, there's essentially just um, what I was doing for Run the Race, just building an army of people to, um, come alongside and connect and believe and pray and give if they feel called to give. It's exactly what I'm doing right now for Rising Light Ridge. And so it was, it's just a mad hustle of, of having meetings and, and putting your, you know, what you're doing in front of people and saying, Hey, God's doing something behind us. You want to join us? And they don't have to. Um, but it's, it's cool now to see like, um, being in the field and plowing for run the race is kind of, um, led to this next uh, job that I'm doing right now. Um, but with that said, yes, there are definitely dreams of, of making more movies. And, uh, and, I, and I think that will happen one of these days, but it literally is just, you have to be super disciplined, super hyper-disciplined now, because it's not just me and Charity and I can just, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to go read a book? Okay, I'm going to go write. You know, I mean, that's what we, happened back in the day. Now it's like, okay, who's got Silas? He's six. Scarlett Lily's two. Like, all right, now we got another baby coming in February. It's like, when am I going to sit away in a room and write for three, four hours at clip? And I have yet to learn how to do that. And so I am, that's my New Year's resolution is to finish this movie script that I'm writing right now. So it's tough, man. But it's just, you got to get super hyper-disciplined mm-hmm. and it's, there's no other way around it. It's not, you're, you're not going to stumble into it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's the little chunks at this point where it's not going to be four hours. It's going to be 30 minutes, you know, probably. They're finding those 30-minute spots, so it takes longer and harder to get into, like, the flow and, you know, all of that. But it's, like, the reality of, of life. And, you know, maybe you get a retreat every once in a while to go do a, a writing retreat. But uh, it feels like that's just true about where we are in life is it's got to be in those little increments. So oh, that's awesome. Well, how can people that are interested in rising light and you know what you're doing what the the vision is for that project if somebody's listening is like man that sounds i love that i'd want to help like how would they go about getting involved absolutely at risinglightridge.org um, or the tim tebow foundation and look up rising light ridge we have our own facebook page too um and yeah we're just essentially it's a capital campaign right now trying to make a push to the end of the year um and uh we're we're, we're leveling out trees and building lakes and uh and just continuing to build this, you know, we, we got to raise 105 million and, um, we're 
about one third of the way there. And so it's just uh, phase one, phase two. We're just continuing. God's been super good to us. So some very generous people out there have said, hey, I want to see this get built. Um, and it was totally a God thing because it's not like the foundation was looking for this. It was a family saying, we're about to give you guys this. What would you do with it? And then it's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> so it's been a, a total God story from the beginning. And I love being a part of those stories. And and uh, and Tim's done a great job stewarding the whole foundation. And yeah. so, yeah, just to awesome. check us out, timtablefoundation.org. Great. Those links in there and then following you, if, you know, people want to, as you continue the creative journey, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing there? Going back and Jake underscore McIntyre on Instagram. I mean, we're talking, that's how old school it is. It's, uh, and, uh, yeah, just find me. Um, and, uh, yeah, run the race has its own Facebook page still coming up on our five year anniversary, trying to make a little push for yeah. the five year anniversary. I'm Trey. Trey Brunson actually wrote a, a Bible study curriculum on run the race. He wrote about 90% of it. I helped out 10%. He wrote 90%. And as soon as we got it made and we were excited, we were like, man, we're going to be like the Kendrick brothers. Lifeway literally shuts their doors. We were just like, oh my gosh. And so, but that curriculum is still out there and it's amazing. So we're going to try to get another push to that. Coming around the quarter of February. Okay. And run the races on Netflix right now. Actually, right now it is uh, free on Amazon Prime. That's it. That's where I've oh, seen it. Yeah, Great. it's been jumping around with Hulu, and then yeah, people just buy the rights, and we, we figure out where we're being shown. Yeah. Well, I'll get all the links to that in the show notes for people, so it's just easy to to go down any of those uh, trails that you want to go down. So, Jake, thanks so much, man. It's been awesome. Absolutely. It's an honor. Thank you guys for thinking of me. Oh, yeah. Glad to have you. Absolutely. Nice meeting you, man. Nice meeting you. You too, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're enjoying the show, like I've been saying, the past few episodes go rate and review on Apple. A lot of things just flow downstream from that. And so uh, we appreciate you listening, and we'll uh, see you on the next episode of Make a Chair. You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump, jump. And you might think, what if I fall? Well, what if you don't?